Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Volume. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. I'd like to welcome in everybody listening live on AMP. You can follow me there on AMP if you want to get this podcast as early as possible. Uh, comes out on Wednesdays. If you want to listen live, you can listen Tuesdays on AMP. Keith Idex, senior writer from BoxingScene.com, is going to join me in just a couple of moments. We're going to break down everything that we saw in the Canelo Alvarez-John Ryder fight in Guadalajara this past weekend. I was down there ringside for that. It was an incredible atmosphere. As far as performances go, well, we'll dive into that a little bit. A little bit later on, Regis Progre, the 140-pound champion, he joins me to discuss his rationale for signing this new deal with Matchroom. Obviously, he chose between top rank and Matchroom for this deal. He was adamant this was the right one for it. I get into all that and more with Regis Program. But first, my good friend, Keith Idex, senior writer from BoxingScene.com, who was just telling me off-air how envious he was that I was in Dallas right now for the Jake Paul-Nate Diaz press conference. I, I could feel and can feel, Keith, the envy in your voice as you uh, as you talk about Jake Paul these days, right? Yeah, Dallas, uh, Jake, Jake Paul, the whole deal. You know, it's a, where could you, where else could you spend a better, better spend a Tuesday afternoon? You know what I mean? Come on. Yeah, I, I was at that press conference, and I, I got to admit, I expected a little more fireworks or a few more fireworks between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. They had a face off, a couple of slaps back and forth, but uh, knowing these two, and especially Nate Diaz, how volatile he can be on stage, I expected him to maybe throw down a little bit, but it was relatively tame up there between these two guys. It will be a big event, no question about it, August 5th when they fight at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. Uh, a lot of Nate Diaz fans out there. Jake Paul's got a few of his own, so uh be interesting to see. I'm, I'm going to guess you're not going to cover that, but, you know, we'll on the site, we're going to cover it because it's a... Sure. You know, it, I think it's going to get a lot of attention, and, and it's an interesting fight, you know, from where for where Jake is in his career and you know, where and Nate Diaz has a huge fan base and everything. I think it's going to be a big event. I don't know necessarily that I'll that I'll go to it. Somebody from the site will go to it. I don't know that it'll necessarily be me, but um, but look, I'm, I think he should fight Tommy Fury again, and I think that will happen eventually. But um, but this is this is a big event. This is something they were going to do one way or the other, which obviously they're doing. So you know, I think it'll get some attention. Yeah, I, I can't blame Jake for taking the bag on this one. Like. The, the financial reward is significantly higher, I would think, to take on Nate Diaz, who is still a big name in the U.S. Uh, his first fight outside of his UFC contract, the buildup is going to be a lot, to say the least. They're going to be talking a lot of trash to each other over the course of the next few months. And look, the Tommy Fury fight will be out there down the line. If the Middle East comes back through again with another pot of gold, I'm sure they'll face off against each other. But for right now, 
I get it. This is why it makes a lot of financial sense uh, for Jake Paul. But that's that's a conversation for another podcast uh, down the line. On this episode, Keith, I want to talk about what we saw last weekend from Canelo Alvarez. Canelo, of course, making his return to the ring. First fight since his decision win over Gennady Golovkin. First fight since having surgery on that left hand. First fight in Mexico in almost 12 years, in Guadalajara for almost 12 years. I can tell you from being down there, Keith, it was an incredible scene ringside. Uh, in, the, in the neighborhood of 60,000 fans in uh, in that stadium uh, for that night, the entrance was spectacular. A 150-piece mariachi band playing Canelo Alvarez into the ring. The crowd was into it. Canelo was into it. So it was a great buildup, no question about it. And then you had the fight. And for about five rounds, you saw signs of the old Canelo Alvarez. In the second round, you had an uppercut that busted up John Ryder's nose, broke his nose. Uh, kind of shades of that uppercut that broke Billy Joe Saunders' face a couple of years before that. And then the fifth round, he puts Ryder down with a terrific one-two combination that I was actually surprised Ryder was able to you know, get up from and continue. But he did. And from there, Keith... If you had concerns about Canelo Alvarez at this stage of his career, you probably saw some of them validated because it seemed like he faded somewhat down the stretch again, which he's done a couple of times in recent fights. And even though he won a lopsided decision, Ryder was active over those final three rounds. You could argue won a couple of those final three rounds. So to me, it was more of a mixed bag with Canelo Alvarez. When you watched that fight, what did you see out of Canelo? I was surprised that he didn't put John Ryder away because when Ryder got up from that, you know, it was a jab and a great right hand that put him down. When he got up, he didn't look like he was on the steadiest of legs. And I really thought the fight was going to end in the fifth round. There was a decent amount of time left in the fifth round as well. So I did think that he would finish John Ryder in the fifth. Uh, kudos to John Ryder, though, man, because that dude is cheese, man. That is one tough guy. And, and not that we didn't know that coming into the fight, but really, you know, one of the toughest performances in a high-profile fight that we've seen. Just because he didn't come close to winning, obviously, but he did make rounds in the back end of the fight competitive, and he, you know, he won two or three rounds probably. And no one would have predicted that based on what had happened in the fifth round and the way the fight had gone up until that point. Uh, so I want to give John Ryder the proper amount of credit for what he did there, and you know, it was the biggest opportunity far and away of his career. And, uh, you know, he really went in there and he showed a lot of guts and everything. Is this the same Canelo Alvarez that we saw five years ago? Probably not, you know, or definitely not. But I don't think there's so much slippage that we have to look at him as some kind of uh, diminished product. Like he doesn't belong fighting the top guys or anything like that. I do think that it's a, and I know we're going to talk about this later. I, I don't think it's a great idea to fight Dimitri Bivol at 175 pounds again. But he's still an elite level fighter, and and it's not like he struggled. Like if if this were a closer fight, Chris, and uh, you know he he won one fifteen, one twelve. Let's just say one seven rounds. Ryder won five rounds. He gets the point for the knockdown. I would be more concerned. But the the one thing I would say though, just as a reminder to people, and I know you're well aware of this, he has sixty three professional fights. This, if there's such a thing as an old 32-year-old fighter, he's it because he started his career when he was 15 years old, and that's almost 18 years ago. A lot of wear and tear, not only in the fights, but in the training camp. So he's, you know, he's not your normal 32-year-old fighter. You know, like, let's just say Jamal Charlo's 32. He never fights, and, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have as much wear and tear on his body as Canelo does, you wouldn't think. But, um yeah, you know, 63 is a lot of fights. Yeah, and look, for more than a decade, these have been hard fights. You know, people criticize Canelo's resume for bizarre reasons, but he's fought the very best, really dating back to like 2011, 2012, you know, right before he fought Floyd Mayweather. And since Floyd Mayweather, you know, 85, 90% of his opponents have been top, top tier guys from Aris Landy Lara. Austin Trout in that mix. You move on to Gennady Golovkin and Dimitri Bivol. He's fighting the hard distance fights. I mean, 36 rounds with Gennady Golovkin alone, 
you know, is incredibly difficult. 12 rounds with Dimitri Bivol. Go back further. 12 rounds with Eris Landy Lara. Like, he's had to go into some wars with some of these guys. So my read on it, Keith, is if if you look at 2018 to 2021 Canelo being peak Canelo, beginning with Golovkin and maybe ending with uh, Callum Smith, Caleb Plant, whatever you want to kind of put it down. I would call that fighter an A-plus fighter. The fighter I saw last weekend is probably a B-plus fighter, which is still better than virtually everybody in his weight class, maybe everybody in his actual weight class, uh, but not the same unbeatable force or you know, complete force that he once was. I don't think he's the same defensive fighter he used to be, at least in terms of slipping punches. That's not there. And I do think conditioning has become an issue. It was an issue in the Dimitri Bivol fight. It was an issue in the second half of the Golovkin fight. And it was an issue over the final three rounds of this fight with John Ryder. And, and look, I don't think these are issues that are going to go away in subsequent fights. Uh, he is an older 32 years old. Um, but I, I think those skills, Keith, that we saw from him during those prime years, those are probably not going to come back. He's probably going to have to adjust to being a different version of himself. Yeah, Chris, I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I would just say, and I want to preface this by saying that Canelo Alvarez is great. I don't mean this in any way to diminish what he's accomplished. But I do think, one, he's always had stamina issues. That existed when he was 26, 27, 28, 29, always has had stamina issues for the most part. Beyond that, some of those fights during that stretch of time, and I'm not saying he shouldn't have been very competitive with those guys, uh, but, but some, I think his dominance was exaggerated to a certain extent. Because if you go back and look at some of these fights, now the first fight against Gennady Golovkin, he lost. So <laughs> I understand people put him on this pedestal and made him the number one pound for pound fighter. He lost. Then before the second fight, he gets popped for PED use, right? So there, there, there's some things going on there that are, that, you know, would pick away at his legacy, so to speak. And the Kovalev fight is a good example. Kovalev, now he went up to 175 pounds. So you absolutely must give him credit. The guy's five foot eight, basically. And he went up to 175 pounds, a weight class he does not belong fighting in, and wound up knocking Kovalev out. However, Kovalev, while he was a lot bigger than him, had been knocked out twice, was certainly a diminished version of himself, and was very, very, very competitive with Canelo up until the point where he got knocked out. Now, he still got knocked out, but point being, some of these fights were really competitive. You could certainly argue that at least the one that I mentioned against uh, against Gennady Golovkin, the first fight, he lost. So... People, you know, people rewrite history all the time. I don't mean this against you, obviously, but people tend to rewrite history sometimes. And like, like he was beating people 11 rounds, like elite level fighters, 11 rounds to one. That wasn't happening. So, yes, he is diminished physically to at this point in his career. But maybe, you know, history has kind of rewritten how dominant he actually was when you could certainly argue that he was the best pound for pound fighter. And, and yeah, the key, John. Which I sorry, Chris, uh, the the PED thing, which I know I brought up on the podcast numerous times, that matters to me. Yeah, and look, John Ryder said something this week, and maybe he was kidding, maybe he was only half kidding, but he was saying like the difference between me and Canelo Alvarez is that I came out on the wrong end of some really close decisions, and he came out on the right end of close decisions, which is yeah, obviously kind of a joke there. But look, John Ryder, you know could have earned a decision against Rocky Fielding in his hometown, could have earned a decision against Callum Smith in Callum Smith's hometown. Canelo Alvarez, as you know, you point out, has been on the right end of a lot of close decisions, whether it's Aris Lady Lara, Austin Trout, Gennady Golovkin. Going on down the line, he seems to have gotten the benefit of the doubt from judges in a lot of significant fights. So you're right. He has not been this inimitable force. And as it relates to John Ryder, Tough guy, seems like a class act. Glad he got, you know, hit, hit the biggest payday of his career. Also could have lost to Daniel Jacobs and not gotten this fight. So <laughs> be honest about that. 
Yeah, true. Uh, you, are you are you channeling Keith Conley there, our our friend Keith Conley, the manager of Daniel <laughs> Jacobs, who will go to his grave believing that Daniel Jacobs deserved the win in that fight. In fairness, a very close fight that could have got. I mean, very close fight. No, no, very close fight. You know, and, and look, John Ryder has taken enough L's in that situation that maybe he deserved a W in sure, that uh, sure. in that Absolutely. moment. Yep. Um. So let's spin it forward a little bit with Canelo Alvarez. There are two obvious front runners, so to speak, to face him. He wants to fight Dimitri Bivol. He wants to fight him in a rematch at 175 pounds. Dimitri Bivol, who it sounds like is going to be idle, at least until September when Canelo makes his decision or however this plays out. Dimitri Bivol wants to fight too, but he wants to fight at 168 pounds. And Keith, a lot of people have fixated on that, saying maybe weight could be an issue in making that fight. I actually think money is a bigger issue in making that fight. You know, Dimitri Bivol made about $5 million to fight Canelo uh, a year ago. He is going to want substantially more than that to fight Canelo. Canelo is going to want at least his usual payday, which is north of $30 million, between 30 and $40 million, whatever it may be. And that's a boatload of money for a fight that just isn't a mega event on pay-per-view. So as much as Canelo wants Dimitri Bivol and as you know, amicable, amiable as Dimitri Bivol may be about making that fight, even maybe agreeing to go to 175, I'm of the belief that money is what makes that fight not happen before the end of the year. What do you think? I, I think you're I think it is about money, Chris. Like pretty much everything in life, right? It's about money. But um, <laughs> when they say it's not about money, it, it is definitely about money. But I don't blame Dimitri Bivol here because this is his opportunity to capitalize on the biggest win of his career. So he and his team have to squeeze as much money out of this fight as they can. They know that they sort of have Canelo uh, in terms of leverage right where they want him. He's been very vocal about this is the only fight that he wants next. Now, he has other options. But this means a lot to him from a legacy standpoint, and he's pushing for it to happen. So if it means that much to him, which I think that it does, he might have to go into his side a little bit and give Dimitri Bivol what he wants. I'm not saying, you know, give him everything that he wants, but he's going to have to concede and give him some of what he wants. Because unfortunately for Bivol, the better BF fight is not happening anytime soon for a variety of reasons. And that's the fight that he really wants because he wants to go become the undisputed uh, light heavyweight champion. He's already beaten Canelo. In his mind, he won eight or nine rounds against Canelo last May 7th, so he doesn't really need to prove anything again. I think it's kind of it's amusing in some, in some way that Canelo, the 68-pounder, is demanding that the fight's at 175. Bivol, the 75-pounder, <laughs> who's never fought anywhere close to 168 pounds, is demanding that it's at super middleweight. It's 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 a bizarre standoff, and, and only in boxing could something like this happen. Um, but that, but again, it might be Bivol's real way of just really trying to negotiate and get the money he wants more so than he actually wants to fight at 68. Because yes, he could become the undisputed champion at super middleweight, but I think it's maybe more of a ploy to to get what he wants, and uh, and he's going to stand firm, see what happens. I mean, if if you're Canelo, Chris, really, do you? Do you want to instead fight David Benavidez or would you make the concessions financially that are necessary to get this fight that you want? From my opinion, as, a, as an objective bystander, I don't think this is I know why he wants the fight, because he wants his get back. He wants to avenge that loss. Totally makes sense. I just don't know that he's capable of beating Dimitri Bivol, particularly at 175 pounds. So I would advise against it. But what has made Canelo Alvarez great among the things that has made him great and, and a you know, credit to the sport for, for the last however long he's been a, at the top level is he has gone and sought challenges that most guys would. That's, I agree with what Eddie Hearn says that all the time. That's, it's a little crazy, but that's what makes him a great fighter. And that's true. You know, it's funny. You say that Bevel has leverage, and I kind of agree with you, but his leverage is Canelo's ego. <laughs> like, you know, Canelo, <laughs> he doesn't have, he, he's not a mandatory Freddie Canelo's titles. Canelo has no, obligation to face him you know contractually he just wants it like he just continues to call out Bevel because he just can't live with a loss uh no matter how how unlikely it may be that he takes another one uh in the rematch i i i'm gonna say right now i don't believe that fight happens in the fall i think money's gonna hold that thing up but i don't believe anyone's gonna come in whether it's to zone Showtime, 
foreign entity that may be able to put up a bunch of money. I don't believe that fight happens in the fall. But Keith, I also don't think a Benavidez fight happens in the fall. Like this to me is a little murkier and maybe you have a little more information on, on it than I do, but I don't get the sense from talking to people around Canelo last week that they have any interest in fighting Benavidez. Now, some of it might be, they feel Benavidez still has to do more to get the opportunity for the fight. I don't know if I agree with that. Some of it might be like, you know, Canelo's always had this weird attitude about fighting Mexicans. Like he, he just hasn't exactly been racing towards those, uh, those opportunities when presented. But I don't get the sense as we sit here right now that a Benavidez fight is front burner for Canelo. And everything I've been hearing about Benavidez is that there are plans at least starting to be made for Benavidez to take another fight in the fall, whether it's David Burrell or somebody else. Um, what's your read on that part of the equation? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really want to hear about him. Not, I don't mean from you, obviously, but I don't want to hear about him not fighting. He's already fought Mexicans. He fought Chavez Jr. He's, he's fought Mexican fighters before. Uh, right. He fought Carlo, you know, guys from Mexico. Frankly, yes, David Benavidez is of Mexican Yeah, He has a Mexican heritage, obviously, in his bloodlines and all, but he's from the United States. He's an American. Look, come on. I mean, so that, I don't know <laughs> that would be the, the, the reason why the fight doesn't happen. Because that's not a good look for Canelo if that's actually the reason he uses. He has said that in the past, but I don't know that he's married to that, I think. you know. So um, so I don't think that hopefully will not be the reason why they don't fight. It's a tough fight. I mean, Benavidez is a big – I'm not saying Canelo couldn't win. He could. But Benavidez is a big, strong, rugged dude, uh, you know, younger, more in his physical prime, Um you know, comes forward, throws a ton of punches. You know, wears you down to the body, and of course, Canelo is a great fighter, and he could win. But it's it's a tough fight. Um, I don't know what more Benavides could prove from a commercial. You know, he just fought in his first pay per view, as we well know, did pretty well. You know, did decent numbers um, with a guy, who, excuse me, who Canelo has fought already, um, which probably helped the pay per view as well. Uh, so, from Benavides's perspective. Do you want to go and fight David Morrell, which is a really tough fight? I mean, a really, really tough fight. And in some ways, you know, I understand Morrell's not nearly as proven as Canelo, but that's a hard fight, man. He's a young guy. He's a tall southpaw with a lot of skill and power. You know, he's in a, although he only has nine fights, he's he's already kind of an elite level fighter, despite that he hasn't beaten anyone like Benavidez or like Canelo. That. My overall point is that is a very tough alternative to Canelo. And if you're Benavidez, you want to go and get that money and get the Canelo fight as opposed to fighting David Morrell. But on the other side of it, from PBC side of it and Showtime side of it and all, if David Benavidez is now a pay-per-view fighter, you can't just put him in the ring with anyone. They, they did decent enough business with the Caleb Plant fight, who's a proven fighter and had fought Canelo on pay-per-view. You can't just put him in there with anyone, and there aren't that many options, really. I mean, I get... He could. I don't want to get you too excited here. He could fight Demetrius Andrade, I suppose. I've um, heard that, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not a huge commercial. It's a good fight. It's an interesting fight for a lot of reasons, but it's not a huge commercial fight. It, it probably does less pay per view business than not probably. It definitively would do less pay per view business than Andrade. So they don't have a ton of options if not Morrell. Uh, so he's in a tricky spot too. I, the thing is, if Canelo doesn't fight, let's just say Bivol, they can't come to a financial agreement. He doesn't fight Bivol, and then he doesn't fight Benavidez. Well, who's he fighting? Because you got to pay him an enormous amount of money, and if you're not going to get much return on it, you know, who does he fight? Well, I think you and I both know who the outlier in all this is, and it's someone Eddie Hearn is starting to mention as an opponent sooner rather than later, and that's Edgar Berlanga. Uh, we know that. Edgar Berlanga is someone that Eddie is trying to put on a track to fight Canelo Alvarez. Originally, you know, we were talking about maybe him fighting Canelo in May of 2024, but you're starting to hear some things, Keith, about how, well, if Berlanga looks great against Jason Quigley, and with all due respect to Jason Quigley, Berlanga should look great against Jason Quigley in that fight. Jason Quigley, in his last significant fight, was stopped in two rounds by Demetrius Andrade, who doesn't stop anybody. So that is a tailor-made opponent for Edgar Berlanga. But I do get the sense that there are at least 
maybe not on Canelo's side yet. Maybe Canelo's not on board with that fight yet, but at least on the side of Berlanga, Eddie Hearn, that maybe they want to push that fight forward to September of this year or the fall of this year uh, in order to keep Canelo aligned with them. It's obviously why Matchroom signed Edgar Berlanga to, as a potential opponent for Canelo. Um, yeah, it, it could happen. I don't I don't know what the public's appetite is going to be for that based on what Berlanga has done. Um, man. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so excited. You sound giddy about that possibility. And, and I don't, you know, Berlanga's a nice kid and, you know, he's built up somewhat of a fan base here in New York and everything. And his, his manager is, is, is one of the very best negotiators and, and, uh, and managers in all of boxing. And Keith Connolly, no two ways about that. Edgar can punch. Um, I, I, he, he doesn't, in my opinion, does not belong in the, in the ring with Canelo out, even a diminished version of Canelo Alvarez at this point. Uh, if he looks great against Jason Quigley, that would obviously help their cause because, you know, he'd be coming off a great win, but well, uh, no, he'd be coming off a, a, a win that looked good on, on the zone, not a great win because Jason Quigley got blown out by Demetrius Andrade however long, a year and a half ago or whatever that was. Uh, but you're right, Chris. That is obviously why they signed Edgar Belanga. It's why they've committed so much money to his, you know, tune-up fights in effect to keep him undefeated and to make him look good going into the potential Canelo fight. And if that's what winds up happening in September, I would just say to everyone involved, good luck getting people to buy that for however you want to dress it up, $54.99, whatever price points you come up with based on your subscription package, 80 bucks if you buy it on, good luck. So what's your gut then right now as we sit here uh, just past Cinco de Mayo weekend? When we get to that Mexican Independence Day weekend, that weekend that Canelo likes to fight on, who do you think he's in the ring with? I guess maybe I'm more optimistic than you, Chris. I think he's going to fight Bibble. I think he's going to, I think. Wow. Okay. I completely understand what you're saying about the financial part of it, but I think he'll make the concessions within reason. You know, if Dimitri Bibble says, I want $20 million and Canelo is going to have to go into, on, into his, you know, side of it to, to make him whole on the other side, obviously not, but if they're reasonable and I think they will be at a certain point only because he doesn't have many options. Well, who is he? Who is he going to fight? You know, Boatsy's mm-hmm. gone now. He's not with the Zone and Eddie anymore. Uh, that was one of the more appealing alternatives. And he looked dreadful, dreadful in that yeah. last fight. That was just a yeah. a uninspired performance at his last fight, fight timeout. But at least he was an undefeated guy that they could have put him in the ring with, and it would have been a you know a fight in the UK that they could have sold. It makes you know it would have been a commercial success in, in England. Uh, but there's not many options for him. So I think they'll have to be reasonable to a certain degree as well to make it happen. But I, I really do think Canelo wants this fight. Uh, and that, look, if he goes and fights Bivol and he loses again, and then he stays on the zone side of the street and the matchroom side of the street, uh, he could fight Berlanga after that. And then people would say, oh, well, look, he just went up again and fought Bivol. You know, let's see what he, how he looks against Berlanga. But then I could see that. But if Berlanga's the next fight and he doesn't fight Bitwell for whatever reason, it's just a really tough sell. And then it's back to back. You get the sense. Sorry, it's that's back to back fights in which he would be, you know, a 20 to 1 favorite or, or whatever. Yeah, no, I get it. Do you get the sense that, that Benavidez is going to wait this out for a little while to see what happens with Canelo over the next, you know, whatever it is, six weeks that it takes to kind of discern what he's going to do i think he has to I, I just think he has to see how it plays out with canelo and he's not he just he fought march 25th it's not like he's on some six-month layoff already so and he made very good money for the plant fight um you know so i think he'll just wait to see what canelo does and my best guess is he won't be canelo's next opponent and then he'll have to figure out whether david morell is, is the right guy for him to fight next and then benavidez is a tough kid you know he's it's not like he's you know, he's afraid to fight anybody or anything like that. And I know Morell really wants to fight from the PBC side. They know it's a, it's a fight that people, because I've heard people say that Morell needs to fight three or four more against who, like who is, who is if he's not fighting now, you could say he could fight Andrew. I suppose. I mean, Andrew is always is the guy that now is affiliated with PBC, 
that's a very good fighter. But I mean, who is Morel going to fight over the next two years and beat that that people are then going to say, oh, well, he deserves the Benavidez fight now or, or whatever they're saying. So uh, even though he only has nine fights, I do think he's ready to, to fight Benavidez at this point. I need Demetrius Andrade to go over to top rank and complete like the trifecta of U.S. promoters that you can't get a fight with. Like just just to prove to the world and then just retire, like retire undefeated as a two division world champion, maybe pick up a third secondary title and just be that guy that no matter what platform you were on or what promoter you were connected to, you could not get a fight. I think you should do that. That's my advice to Demetrius Andrade. <laughs> well, if he can't, he get- could be defending his middleweight belt. He was, he could have Janabek set to fight this weekend, Stockton, California. He could be defending that middleweight belt if he'd stayed at 160. Not that yeah. he would have been fighting anybody there either, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that's a that's a doozy. Uh, Janabek, Alam Hanala against Stephen Butler in Stockton, California. That's wow. Oof. And it's in Stockton, California, because Gabe Flores is somewhere on the yeah. undercard. Yeah. He's from and there. Are, so, there are other fighters from Stockton on the undercard as well. And it, right. He's done well in Stockton, but just the you know, a guy from Canada against a guy from Kazakhstan and Stockton is, is interesting. Can I get your take on what happened this weekend in Guadalajara with some of the undercard action there? Because there were some wild scenes down there in Mexico. You had Steve Spark. Going into this fight against Gabriel Valenzuela, a Guadalajara. And it, it, look, it was a good fight, competitive fight, fun fight to watch. Steve Spark got knocked down. I did think he did more than enough to win the fight. I thought he controlled seven of the 10 rounds. You throw in the knockdown, maybe it's a 6 4 type of fight. But then the scores are announced. And not only does Valenzuela win, but it turns out that two of the judges who were on the official sheets, for that fight were replaced by other judges. Two of the judges who were from neutral locations, I believe Puerto Rico and the U.S., were replaced by two judges from Jalisco, Mexico. And the two judges that replaced the neutral judges uh, scored the fight for Valenzuela. I thought that was outrageous. And I didn't realize it at the time because when you're listening to in this case, David Diamante recite the judges. You don't really think there's going to be any change. You don't think their names are going to change. But then after the fact, when you learn that the judges had been replaced at the last minute, wild, wild. If I'm Stevie Spark, I'm furious at all that. I mean, it was a close enough fight that there's probably not anything you can do about it. But the fact that two judges were swapped out that late in the game, to me, that's crazy, Keith. Yeah, for for Galaz's cousin and, and uncle, probably you know, you know, but um, yeah. Look, Steve Spark, to, he didn't sign up for that, but he sort of knew what he signed up for, going to fight him in effect in his hometown. It's right next to Guadalajara. I mean, he, but he did deserve to win the fight. I thought. I, I actually thought he was going to get knocked out at a, you know, when he, when he, you know, earlier in the fight. But he came back, and I thought he won. I thought he definitely deserved to win the fight. It's just, you know, it's just crazy, man. It, this The way this sport operates, I mean, that that's outrageous what you just said, Chris, of course, with the changing and swapping out of the judges, because, of course, Steve Sparks' team did everything that it could to make sure he had some kind of chance in, in a situation where the odds are stacked against him because he's, you know, in effect in the guy's hometown, and that happens. I mean, that, that's terrible. I mean, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know another crazy thing. It's just boxing, though, right? Because another crazy thing happened, but you probably, I know you didn't see the fight because you were busy on Saturday, but, you know, uh, Michelle Soro gets screwed again in Russia with all kinds of shenanigans happening at the scale and then on the scorecards and everything. And this sport is just, you know, it just, it, it screws people out of their livelihood, you know, out of the purses that they deserve and everything. And it's just, it's unfortunate, but you're right. Steve Spark, the bottom line is Steve Spark deserved to win the fight. There's obviously some shady doings there with the commission that allowed that to happen. And what are you going to do? Go, he's Steve Sparks, you know, an Australian kid, or he's going to go, he's going to go uh, petition the, 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 the local commission. <laughs> Good luck with that. Come on, you know? So, <laughs> it, uh, look, I, I feel for Stevie Spark because the Canadian judge, who was the only neutral judge there, scored the fight kind of how I would. I think it was 6 4. He had it for Spark uh, with that knockdown mixed in. So, uh, I think enough to win the fight. That's why Eddie Hearn tweeting afterwards that you know we'll get Stevie Spark back out 
you know, will act like he kind of won and, and get him Good. by. And he is, Matchroom is pretty deep. Matchroom's deep in the 140 pound division now. Um, and so there'll be opportunities for him to, to get opportunities uh, in the immediate future. Last thing for you. Um, what do you make of the smoke that's out there, which is becoming more than smoke because now you're having Eddie Hearn comment about it and say that discussions are taking place about a double header in Saudi Arabia at the end of the year featuring Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, and Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. I asked you to handicap who Canelo's next opponents would be. Handicap for me the likelihood that we get probably the biggest doubleheader ever if if that were to take place. How likely do you think it is that something like that happens? I'm not saying that Eddie's not being told that they could make it happen because obviously he is. Well, but how much money is that going to cost? And I understand that these people have money. I get it. But how much money would you have to come up with to satisfy those four people? Right? I mean, th- those are two mega fights of the same on the same card as, as far as I've been hearing, right? I, I don't know. How how much money is is too much? Because I, I don't know who can, like I understand that they they view it as a victory for their country to bring enormous events like this there that otherwise wouldn't would have, they have no business being there, frankly, other than them just having a lot of money. It's 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 kind of silly that they're there other than the financial component, because n- none of these fighters have fans there. Of course, it's a, it's a odd place for it to be. But if really, I would like to know what the actual number is, which I don't, that it's going to require them to pay to get those one of those fights is going to be expensive. And obviously they could do that because Joshua and Usyk just fought there. So they, obviously they could get one of them, but to get both of them on the same card. And I, I know I've, again, I've said this on the podcast previously as well, Chris, I'll believe it when I see it. Who's <laughs> going to fight Deontay Wilder. And I'm not saying that he's not still a high level fighter and all that. I just don't think they want to put him in the ring with a guy who's a pulverizing puncher like that. And he has skills that Deontay Wilder doesn't have. And I'm not saying there's no way he couldn't win he could win the fight. I'm not saying that, but that's not the guy that I would put a guy who's clearly gun shy, clearly from from the Ruiz thing from four however four years ago, whatever that is now. I'm not putting him in the ring with Deontay Wilder. Uh, you know, if they do it and I'm proven wrong, then I'm then I'm proven wrong. Uh and I, and I don't mean this as a knock against Anthony Joshua. I'm just saying from a matchmaking standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's other guys that he could fight that could get him to the Tyson Fury fight if that's what you ultimately want. I, I would, you know, my best guess is if he fights Deontay Wilder, he's getting knocked out. Well, a, it's probably in the neighborhood of $200 million combined purses to make that fight happen. Okay. I mean, they have it. I mean, I, I, they have they, it. They so do. I, <laughs> It's just an astronomical sum of money, but I mean, man, to imagine imagine seeing those two fights on the same day on the same card. Oh, it'd be incredible! Wild, man. No, I mean, it'd be, wild. Yeah, that's great. Set and the winners wild. presumably would fight each other. I mean, it'd be awesome. But you know, but. who knows? All right, follow Keith Idek on Twitter at Idek Boxing. Read his stuff over at BoxingScene.com. Keith, always appreciate the time, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Good to see you, man. Hopefully, uh, you'll be unflummoxed when you leave Dallas there. You know what I mean? I'll be flummoxed for a while. <laughs> flummoxed, flummoxed, flummoxed. That, that is the record for the use of the word flummoxed in any situation ever. Well, as you know, May is a huge month for boxing. You've got KSI against Joe Fournier. You've got Katie Taylor's homecoming in Ireland against Chantel Cameron. You've got Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko for all the belts at 135. Pay-per-view is always a great option, but I promise you there is nothing better than being in person for these title bouts. Well, Game Time is the fastest growing ticket app in the U.S. With tickets on everything from premier boxing matches to the NBA and NHL playoffs to MLB regular season, Game Time has tickets to it all, even concert and comedy shows too. Download the Game Time app and redeem code MANIX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms, of course, always apply. Again, download the Game Time app 
and enter promo code MANIX. That's M-A-N-N-I-X for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And when we come back, my conversation with Regis Progray. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Regis Progray is the WBC 140-pound champion, and he has a new business partner. Matchroom Boxing will now be the promoter of Regis Progray for cutting a deal with him just this past week. His first fight, June 17th, against Liam Paro, back in New Orleans, back in his hometown. Uh, And Regis joins me here on the show. So, Regis, uh, it's been a long journey for you over these last couple of years, but you have locked in with a major promoter. You've got kind of some structure around you, I think, for the first time in a little while. How are you feeling about this whole arrangement? I feel awesome. That's the, the the word I can describe this whole situation is just it's awesome. I mean, just 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 everything going forward. I really never had a, a major promoter like that. I kind of you know since my my pro debut, I got it out the mud. I literally just had to fight my way, just scrapping scrapping my way. You know, luckily I became you know world champion the first time, and then I became world champion the second time. But I just been scrapping my way through things, and I always had a hard road, and I feel like. You know, I always felt like I should be way bigger. I mean, like how many how many two time champions do they have in boxing right now? And you know, my name is nowhere close to being on that level right now. So now I just feel like with the signing with Matron with Eddie, I feel like I'm finally gonna get the exposure that I really deserve. Why has it taken this long in your mind for you to connect with a major promoter? As you said, you've been a world champion in the past. The only loss on your resume was a razor-close decision to Josh Taylor on Josh Taylor's home turf. Why has it been this long for you without somebody big behind you? Um, I mean, well, the first major promoter I had was Lou DeBella. And then after that, with Lou DeBella, you know, we did a few showbox shows, and that was my TV exposure at the time. And then after that, I kind of went to the, the tournament. Um, that was It seemed like that was the best thing for me to do at the time. 
And then after that, after the tournament, it was just like little things, you know, here and there. I, you know, it just I fought on I fought on Showtime, um, I fought on Thriller, I, you know. So it was just like little things like that. Then I fought in Dubai. It was no no type of big TV network. So it just was always like little things that really didn't lead to nothing. So um, with this, like I said, with this, I just feel like I, I'm finally getting what I feel like I deserve. What was it like for you to watch? Josh Taylor, who you know, that fight could have gone either way. Very close fight. What was it like for you to kind of watch him go on to become undisputed and get kind of all the rewards that go with that? Right. I mean, it like boxing wise, obviously it was frustrating, but I always tell people on a personal level, I'm always so good because personally, like outside of boxing, I'm always in a good space, you know, between like my friends and my family. Um, you know, I like I, like I separate boxing from my personal life all the time. So and in in but what it did in boxing, it just made me way hungry. I was just like, all right, this how this feels. It feels this is how this feels to lose. And I was like, man, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be in that situation again. You know, uh, of course, if I can't help it. And you know, with that, with, with me going to London, just with that whole situation, um, it was just like. I did a lot of things that I wouldn't do again, that I know I shouldn't do again. I, I mean, you know, it's 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 details in the past now, but it was a lot of things I was like, I, you know, I shouldn't have did this, I should have did this. I, you know, it was a lot of things I I shouldn't have did, and so, um, it just, but like I said to answer your question, it just it made me that much hungry. I was just like, all right, I'm gonna be a world champion again, and I sacrificed, you know, at at, at the time. I think after that, the move. A lot of people expected me to do. They wanted me to go to 147, and I was like, "Why?" I I always in my mind, I still felt like I'm. A, I still feel like I'm undefeated in my mind. In my mind, I still feel like I was a world champion. I never that ne never left my mind. So I was like, "Why?" What people was like, "Oh, you need to go to 147. You need to leave 147." I was like, "Why?" I'm I, I didn't lose in my mind. I I'm still a champion. So they were saying to leave and go up. I was like, nah, I'm still a world champion. And I'm going to prove I'm still a world champion. I'm going to be a world champion again. I'm going to be a two-time world champion. And it took it took three years, but I worked and I worked and I worked and I finally got back to that level. And, you know, people, was, they were telling me I was tripping. You know, at the time, they offered me Maurice Hooker. And at first, before pandemic happened, and it's crazy, it was with Eddie Hearn also, but before pandemic happened, it was supposed to be like catch weight of 142, 143. And that pandemic happened and then he was like, oh, I'm, we gonna go to 47. I was like, no, I'm not fighting at 147. I'm literally, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be a champion again at 140. So I'm not going to 147. And so a lot of people, and they, they offer good money for that fight. A lot of people were telling me, oh, I'm tripping, you you doing this, you doing that. I was like, listen, I believe in myself. I know I'm gonna be a world champion again. And now, you know, here I am. So let's get into this deal. It was widely reported over the last couple of weeks that you had two major suitors, Matchroom and Top Rank. It was reported that Matchroom offered you a three-fight deal. It was reported that Top Rank offered you a five-fight deal. Are those details effectively true? No. Uh, top Rank offered... At first, Top Rank did offer a five-fight deal. Then they brought it down to a four-fight deal. Matchroom always stuck with the three-fight deal. Okay, so why was this three-fight deal with Matchroom the right one for you? Well, well, it was just, first off, it was more on the level to a, when I met with Eddie, it just it felt right. That gut feeling, when you have that gut feeling, I'm a person that go off instincts and that gut feeling, and it's just it's like it's a, it's a delayed gratification type of thing. And Eddie told me, listen, we're going to fight this year. We're going to keep you busy. And... You know, most likely in the third fight, it's going to be a super fight, you know. And so, um, and the number is going to go, you know, it's going to be crazy when, when you get that super fight. And so, with the, the deal with Tyrank is they wanted four fights. And um, they were saying, I mean, the names was like Barboza. The, the first name was Barboza in August. And Eddie told me I was going to fight Liam Powell in June. This was before I even signed the deal. He said, listen, most likely you'll be fighting in June. So, for me, automatically, like that's one thing that pulled me in. I'd rather fight June than August, or automatically already. Then they say we gonna do it in New Orleans. I think Tyrone said the same thing. We'll do it in New Orleans. We'll we'll do a homecoming mm -hmm. for you. Um, but that's one thing that pulled me in. And then after that, um, the opponents was like Barboza, <clears throat> Ramirez, I think um Teal or Josh Taylor. Obviously, I want all those fights. Barboza, you, you know, he's the whatever. But Ramirez, I've been wanting to fight him for a long. time. Time. Josh Taylor, of course, I definitely want Josh Taylor. 
Teofimo, I definitely want Teofimo. But the thing with that is, and I want to clarify with people, Ramirez, what I'm hearing, Ramirez has one more fight on the, on the deal with top rank. So would I fight Ramirez? And I, I honestly, I don't think men really like right now, I'm thinking, I don't think me Ramirez probably will ever fight because he had a chance to fight me a bunch of times and never fought me. So I think that if I go, if I would have went to top rank, Ramirez might come to match room. You know, he'll run, he'll do everything he can to run away from me. Um, Teofimo, he has one more fight, supposedly one more fight on the deal too with um with ESPN. So that's not guaranteed. The only and Josh Taylor is probably going up to one forty seven. So all right. So now I'm just left with Barboza. That's like that's all. I mean, obviously, you know, these are all things that could happen or can happen. But you know, I, I like I said, I don't know. But with Eddie, um, you know, I think he's you know he's going to give me some fights, and then like I said, the third fight is probably going to be a like a super fight. Maybe even the second fight is going to be into a super fight. I know he's talking to Matias, and that is a fight. He has a belt. That's a fight I want, and I think that's a that's a big fight, um, a big money fight, and it's a big fight because he has a belt. And um, I think we are the two most feared per people in the division right now. So um, it was just I, I just felt like it was a I just felt like it was just a better like overall thing to just go with Metro. So were you genuinely concerned that if you signed that deal with Top Rank that you would see the guys you want to fight leave the company? I, I don't know specifically. I don't know how true it is that a guy like Teofimo only has one fight left. No, he's saying that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Jose Ramirez has kind of said the same thing about his deal with top rank. But what you're saying is you were genuinely concerned that if you signed this deal to supposedly fight these guys, that maybe these guys wouldn't be there. Yeah, yes, that's what I'm saying. Like it was just like it's not that's not a guarantee. And Eddie, <clears throat> I know a lot of promoters they have across the street and all that type of stuff. But with Eddie, he doesn't have an ego. He can still make those fights. You know, like Eddie doesn't. I mean, a lot of a lot of promoters, they have egos and stuff like that. But I feel like Eddie was, if I still want, if I say, Eddie, listen, I'm not fighting nobody until I fight Josh Taylor. I feel like he will go, he will talk to Bob Aaron Todd, but he'll talk to whoever he has to talk to, and they can make that fight. So I think that, and, and the main thing is that this is why I really signed a deal to well with it's it's more it's just more it's just more freedom with Metro, you know. Like I'm I'm t I'm t I'm telling people from Metro right now about the undercards. I'm giving certain names to the undercards. I'm doing my own rule promotion and stuff, so I'm doing that. With I feel like I'm a I'm a part of Metro. I'm a part of the company, and I am gonna be like the U the face of the U S. As far as Metro goes, if if with top rank, I just feel like I would have just been a, I I would have just been another fighter over there. That's all. Like I would have been, I would have been a part of their plan, but with Matchroom, I am the plan. And to sum it up, did you anticipate some of the social media backlash afterwards? Because everybody immediately jumps on, "Hey, you've been calling out Ramirez. You've been calling out Taylor. You've said you want to fight Teofimo. You just signed a deal that." you know, on paper, looks like it guarantees you won't get those guys. Did you expect that backlash to be coming? Well, I mean, I, yes and no. I mean, really, listen, boxing fan, you can't, you never can make a boxing fan happy. They just going to be with you. That's they true. They love you, then they going to hate you, then they going to love you again. And that's just how it is. You know, like right now, people, I see a lot of people online talking about like, oh, it's scared of Matias. People don't know that Eddie is talking to Matias. Eddie's supposed to be signing him. So that means we're going to fight like, I'm not gonna. I, I wasn't entertained nothing because at the time I didn't even have a promoter. So why would I even entertain any of that stuff? Because I know it's not gonna happen. Um, but I mean, that's how boxing fans are. They, I mean, just I think um, sports fans in general, they just they they love you, then they hate you, then they love you again. It's a it's a back and forth thing, and you they don't understand the business. They don't know what's going on in the back room. That's just you know a lot of people just they just having opinions. So you know that really don't matter at all. I don't really I don't really care about that. Mm -hmm. So the other element which you touched on was the formation of Rougarou Promotions as part of all this. Tell me why that was significant for you, uh, forming this and making this kind of part of the the deal. It just it gave me a lot. It just gave me control. You know, it gave me a lot of control of my own career. You know, if you don't, if people don't know, like I don't, I don't have a manager no more. I'm like doing things between me and my lawyer, my assistant, my my coach. We doing that stuff ourselves. I don't. Like I'm just I want to be become my own boss and 
Um, and that's that's a part of that, become my own boss and just knowing learning the business more. Um and so yeah, with the Ruby promotions, I I mean obviously I'm I'm in Texas and I'm around, I go to LA and I'm in New Orleans and I, I know so many fighters that that the opportunities too. So with this, I can give them opportunities. Like I said, with this, I'm with my card in New Orleans, I'm putting a lot of people on, putting a lot of people, giving them exposure. Um, giving them opportunities that I didn't have. So that was just, you know, for me, that was important. And that's why, same thing, that was another reason why I signed with Matron because it's, it's just more control over my own destiny, my own career. Is your hope to kind of build out a stable with your promotional company? Eventually, yeah. I mean, right now, it's, it's it'll be obviously focused more on me because I'm still mm -hmm. heavy in my career. But I think eventually, yeah, I, I I would want to stay. But I, I mean, I know so many guys that's actually really good that can really do something that's potential world champions. And I feel like you know I can definitely be a good scout to you know talent because I I'm I'm literally training with these guys. I know what it. I know like who else better can know what it takes to become a champion than somebody already did it two times. So um yeah, that's I think that is the goal. But right now it'll just be it'll be focused more on me and obviously putting putting people on when I can. You've sort of discussed the pathway to the big fights with you and what that big fight could be. And, and Matias seems like that's the most obvious one that could be made because, you know, you're right. Eddie and Matchroom have been talking to Matias. I know they're optimistic about signing him to some kind of deal. Maybe they get him out at some point this summer in a title defense. Um, are you looking at maybe a unification fight before the end of the year or is it in your mind that that unification fight might be a third fight on this deal? I would want it to be a third fight. Yeah, I would. I would. I think. I think let it build up more, and I would. I, I would want it to be a third fight. You know, I'm. A, I'm. A, obviously, I'm gonna fight Liam, and I got to get past him first. You know, everybody saying it's gonna be a walk in the park, but I don't look at it like that. You know, I always look at it. it's. It's. It's another man. He's undefeated. He wants to take my belt, so he's gonna do a lot of stuff that he wants to win. Um, and then after that. Um, I mean, Eddie, I think I will talk. I'll talk about with Eddie and, and Kevin and, you know, see what's the next route after that. And then, you know, third fight, you know, going to something like that, going to the unification fight. If if Top Rank still has control of some of the belts at 140, you know, I, I get what you're saying, whereas Matchroom has done deals with Top Rank before, but it could get complicated trying to make some of those deals happen. How long do you I mean you you are two-time world champion already you've got an opportunity to become a uni unified champion at some point in the next eight to 12 months uh do you have in your mind a plan to go to 147 at some point no I don't <laughs> um listen one of my favorite fighters is uh Marvin Hagler and Hagler just stayed at middleweight his whole career he became you know he was just uh, like it's just like he became unstoppable at middleweight, and I feel like I can do the same. I feel I really feel like I can do the same thing at 140. I feel like I can be the next Marvin Hagler at 140, and um, I think it's a good way for me. Obviously, I can go. To, I feel like I could go to 147, but um, it's just like why the the big fights are at 140. You know, right now 47 is you know for you know a few years ago 147 was going to be the move that was the big money fights, but right now you know with with the the belts are all. They all um you know holding up right now because it's it's Crawford and Arrow. That's it, and they have to fight each other. Nobody wants to see them fight nobody else. They want to see them fight each other. So it's just like I go to one forty seven for what? I just be in the mix over there at one forty. You know I can be. I am gonna be the man at one forty. I'll be the person to beat. And everybody is is it's just so much. You know it's so many good fighters at at one thirty five, one forty. That's right around me, and you know I just I feel like I can stay here probably the rest of my career. You know, Marvin Hagler, and it's a great reference, he was a rarity in that he was physically able to do it for so long, stay just at almost exclusively one weight class. What's the secret to you to, to being able to stay at that weight? I mean, guys, even if they want to stay at 140 or at one weight for a long time, sometimes their body just grows out of it. How are you, have you been able to maintain your, your kind of discipline to, to stay at one weight class? That's one thing, but I'm I'm really, really disciplined. Um, when it comes to like boxing, I'm really I don't. So if you don't know, I don't I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do no drugs. Um, never did. I probably do. I probably do a lot of stuff after I'm after I'm retired. But right now, I never did none of that <laughs> stuff. 
And, um, you know, I try to stay, you know, I, I just try to stay clean year round. You know, some somebody, another person I look up to, um, he talked to me. He said, man, stay clean is the great Bernard Hopkins. He said, you know, that you, you got to stay clean and stay training year round. So for me, you know, I try to do something year round. Like I don't just I don't just start training when I get the when I'm in training camp. No, I've been like I've been training this whole time since my last fight because I, I have a I have a schedule that's a in camp schedule and I have an out of camp schedule. So my out of camp schedule is definitely important to me to, you know, stay trim. And on top of that, like I had a nutritionist about uh, like a year, a little over a year ago or something like that. And it's just everything been working. I've been making 140 like every time I've been making it easier because he's putting it it's science. Now it's, it's a science. It's like a, a math problem, a scientific problem. So he's just been put, plugging the numbers in and literally we just doing the same thing every count. So, um, yeah, that's how I can stay at 140. Let me tell you something. If you and Matias is built properly, that is a big fight. That is a – it already is a can't-miss type of fight in the ring because your styles, I think, would be perfect for each other. But getting – and it's more Matias, getting him more known uh, by the casual fan, I think that can make that an even bigger fight. And I it, Look, I know you – you knew that before you signed that deal with Matchroom that there was some conversation of going course. on with Matias that that was going to be. You were just. I think a lot of people yeah. thought you were blindly signing with Matchroom and they had nobody at one forty and what what is he doing? But you knew and that that was was way it was yeah, trending. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think knew it. he told me. Eddie already told me. We we had dinner. Um, now it was a week ago. Uh, it was it was um well it's Tuesday now, but it was yeah last Monday, and yeah. We had dinner. He said, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'm trying to get Matias too. I'm most likely I'm gonna get Matias, and I think that's a, you know, I think that is a major fight, and that's somebody I do want to knock off. I think that out of the champions at 140, he probably he probably is the hardest fight, and that's somebody I do wanna, I do want to get him under my belt. I do want to knock him off, get him under my belt, stuff like that. So um, I knew he was, I knew it was coming, and you know, like the fans, they're gonna start. I mean, after this comes out, the fans are gonna see. All right." That's why he signed with Metro. Now they like, oh man, you ducking this, you ducking. They say you ducking Matias because he's with PBC. You ducking this one. I like, you know. All right, go ahead and say I'm ducking. But, but like I said, boxing fans, they love you, they hate you, they love you again. It was man, it's crazy because before I was a world champion, people loved me. Like it's like I don't know what it is. Like when you a world champion, they hate you. They just don't like you. But like <laughs> before I was a world champion, everybody, oh that's I I see the stuff and I try to and for me. Like, it doesn't bother me. But one thing I do, I try to look at stuff. I try to look at as much as I can. Obviously, I can't look at all this, all, the, all the comments and stuff like that. But one thing, I actually try to look at what the, the fans are saying, what, how to connect with them and what they're saying. And at first, people were like, oh, before I was even a world champion again, um, people was like, oh, man, he's the best, man. He's underrated. He's the best. He needs to be a champion again, all this. And now I am a champion again. And, like, People don't like me, you know. So it's I. Th I think people just like the underdog. They like the underdog type of story. But like I said, that's cool. But now they gonna see this interview. They gonna say, "All right, he went with them because Matias is signed with Matrim also, and we're probably gonna have a big unification fight at the at sometime next year." Yeah, look, the longer you stick around, at least as long as the current landscape stays the same. You know, Ryan Garcia is going to be at 140. That's certainly a makeable fight as long as he's affiliated with Golden Boy. Down the line, you know, probably he's going to do right. some things early to get used to the weight right. class, but at 140. And you collect those belts, a Ryan Garcia fight's a, a mega fight at some point later on as yep. well. So a lot of big opportunities in your future. Well, Regis, welcome back, man. Glad to see you right back in the mix. You deserve it. You've earned it over the last couple of years. June 17th against Liam Paro, Smoothie King Center in your hometown of New Orleans. Looking forward to it, man. And uh, thanks for joining me. All right, man. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek and Regis Progray for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.